Welcome to Thrive, a Paychex business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Paychex Thrive podcast. And you know, Supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. That is what we are all worried about and have high in our mind. Well, I am speaking today to Greg Hewitt. He is the CEO of DHL Express. I am sure you have heard of them. He has lots of thoughts and predictions as to where the supply chain situation is heading. I think you're going to want to hear them. Stay tuned and we'll be up with Greg in just a moment. All right, guys. So welcome. And Greg Hewitt, CEO of DHL Express US. Uh, Thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time. Gene, thank you for the opportunity. Happy to be here with you and your audience today. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that as well. And listen, a lot of my audience, Greg, uses you guys. So uh, you know, we'll, be, we'll be listening carefully to some of the uh, words that you have. Uh, you're reporting on what's going on out in the world among your customer base and, and also you know, what you're seeing and what people are doing. Before we get to this, first of all, just so we know, if there's anybody on the planet that has not heard of DHL Express, uh, give us a little bit of background about the company, and, and let's also talk about you as well. But we'll start about the company. Sure. DHL Express is part of Deutsche Post DHL, the world's largest transportation and logistics provider. Our business, headquartered out of Bonn, Germany, has operations around the planet in more than 200 uh, countries and territories around the world in segments like the postal network in, in Germany, but then in key supply chain industries like e-commerce solutions and global forwarding, which would be your air and ocean cargo, and of course, contract logistics, which we call supply chain. My business unit that I work for is Express. That would be when you think of fixed network, small package, Express transportation. Most often here in the United States, people think of that and associate that with colors, purple and Brown. But of course, we're the, the big yellow machine that's got more than 100,000 uh, people globally. And for me here in the U.S., more than 10,000 strong that are responsible for delivering more than 350,000 inbound uh, time-definite international shipments every day and exporting more than 150,000 to the globe. So we're, uh, we're a diverse business. And certainly when you're talking about supply chain and what's impacting the global supply chain, uh, I think we have some good experience there to share. I'm the, I'm the CEO for the U.S. Express business. I've been with the company for almost 30 years now. I'm a Canadian. I, I started my career up north, grew up uh, in the business there before doing stints here in the U.S. and uh, in Europe. I was the CEO in Canada from 2011 to 2014 before I came back down here to the United States, and I've been the CEO here in the U.S. since 2016. That is amazing, Greg. And, you know, it, it, I was just going to say, like, man, when I think of all the different businesses to be in, particularly over the past few years, I think, like, the one business I would not want to be in is, like, the freight and logistics business. <laughs> it sounds like, like, it, particularly with what has been going on with supply chain over the past couple of years, just sounds like an absolute nightmare um, what is what has life been like for you and the company over the past two years? I guess it's there's two ways you can look at it. I, I will say these have been over the last few years some of the most interesting and challenging years in in hmm. my life. First, with the onset of COVID and the pandemic, tremendous uncertainty. Um, many of us had to get 
a, a crash course in pandemic planning when there was a lot of unknowns. How do we keep the world's supply chain going in an environment where you have a virus that's lethal? And I think we did a lot in that first year to try and protect and keep the safety of our employees at the forefront whilst recognizing so many people were at home needing the delivery of the goods that they were ordering online uh, in an e-commerce environment as that exploded. It was really interesting to go through kind of the peaks and valleys of opening and shutting and explosive volume growth. Um, it was a real challenge, but an interesting one. And it, I think in ways it got us closer to our people because we were able to listen to them and understand their fears, their challenges. I was able to take 3,000 people and get them working from home who couldn't do that before. So that was a big move. And I had 7,000 strong that, despite the unknown, came to work every day, got out on the road and, and faced the pandemic head on. Then you go into the last couple of years and it changes. It goes from the pandemic we kind of get used to. We've got the health and safety protocols. You've got vaccines coming and you think everything's going to get back to normal. And last year we really got hit with a an oddity where there was this pent up demand around businesses that had maybe backlogs in production, maybe had components that were missing. And all of a sudden, not only do you have the growth in e-commerce, your traditional industries like automotive, engineering yeah. and manufacturing and high tech roar back to life. And you've still got the issues around capacity constraint as airline travel isn't back. So there's not enough commercial lift. You've got challenges in the Suez Canal and ports that are impacting ocean freight. It really made us, and even if we weren't a vital industry during and a first responder and in the front line during COVID, we were equally as important as, as economies resurged, as people came and relied on a fixed network to try and get inventory moving to satisfy demand. And I, I think it, it's been a, and no matter where I turned, who I talked to, there was a lot of frustration. There were a lot of issues between availability of capacity and space, rising costs, challenges around service and capability, and all of those things we weren't impervious to. I just think we did a pretty good job of trying to be transparent, open, honest, and keep things moving for our, our teams. And no sooner do we get into this year, we think, you know what, things are going to level out. We've, we've weathered this storm and, and we're expecting a little bit. We're going towards here in the West. We were calling it a, an endemic. It was things are going to get back to normal. Maybe some capacities going to come back and it'll be a more normal year. And lo and behold, what happens? You get two things. You get the war, the, the Russian war in Ukraine, which has a profound impact on the, the economies globally, but most notably in Europe, particularly around things like fuel price, given the importance of some of the pipelines in the stands. The, and then you've got, while we're in the West, and when I say the West, that can be North America, that can be Europe, while we're starting to live in this, okay, it's an endemic, we've got to move past COVID, you get the response in China where you get the exact opposite and you get the lockdown effect. And you see lockdowns in Shanghai, you see lockdowns on the bridge between Shenzhen and, and Hong Kong. And that is such a vital pipeline for the global supply chain. 
it's really one that we didn't anticipate and it's created a lot of challenges for us uh, to start uh, 2022. So I do want to, I want to talk about supply chain because that's, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's what you guys are right in the middle of. Um, you guys recently issued a report um, where you, you surveyed more than 4,000 uh, small business owners around the country and asking them about how their businesses are going. And, you know, you, we were talking just earlier about, you know, what you guys were doing for your employees. In this report, it, it found that 38%, 38% of the small businesses that you guys surveyed said that they were not impacted uh, by by labor disruptions and shortages, you know, which obviously means we've got 62% of, of businesses that are out there. And most of my, you know, most of my clients are all impacted about labor. So I'd, I'd actually like to ask you about labor first, Greg. Okay, I mean, you guys, sure. Sure. I'm, I mean, you're, you 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 said what you did during COVID to 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 keep your employees safe and to keep them, you know, motivated. But obviously, in your business, it has got to be really difficult to find and retain good people. I mean, you are competing against other, you know, others out there um, in your industry and outside of your industry. So again, you're talking to small businesses here. You're in a, you're in a line where it's super difficult to do, to, to, to find good people to move these products. It's a difficult job. Um, I'm kind of curious what you guys are doing. Like we, what, what, what steps are you guys taking at DHL Express to find people and to retain them you know, what advice do you have for those 4,000 small businesses that you surveyed uh, that might help them find and retain employees for their companies? So I, it's a great question. I think something I'm really proud of, Gene, when we look at our strategy, um, and it's been this way since at least 2009, we start with a pillar called motivated people. And it's a recognition that our success is directly linked to motivating and exciting our, our workforce, particularly our okay. frontline, recognizing that no matter how hard I work today, I will not talk to and speak to as many customers as my frontline couriers do or my CS agents do. So I think for a long time, we've had a strategy of what do we need to do to motivate them. Um, I think it starts with communication. So one of the biggest things we've drilled in is the concept of a performance dialogue that every day we start every shift, no matter what function, with at least a five to 10 minute performance dialogue where we allow our team to tell us what's on their mind, how they're feeling. We share with them key stats and indices, things that are important for their success. But a lot of it is just allowing that dialogue with leadership. We've invested heavily in learning and development. Uh, and this is probably the area where I'll say this year, we're getting back to after a couple of years of COVID where people, where you couldn't put people in classrooms, you couldn't travel. Maybe we didn't do as much in our certified international specialist learning and development program, certainly in our certified in, uh, international supervisory and management programs. We need to have um, what I'd call active leadership. And that is giving our teams the understanding, the coaching, and the skills around giving and receiving feedback, doing coaching, empathizing and understanding career aspirations. All of that, I think with COVID, we lost a little of it. We, we became a little distant. Mm -hmm. So we've reinvested and reinvigorated. We're getting 2,000 employees through our foundation uh, program, which allows them 
the same program I would go through that gives you the history of DHL, our organization, what we do, how we expect customers to be treated. We're going to get everybody caught up on that this year. And we're going to, we just had in Orlando two weeks ago, a graduation of three years worth of supervisors who've been through our supervisory academy, who are to us, the key people in connecting with 15 or 20 people every day, actively leading them, showing them that they are the superstars in our business. I think that's a critical piece to get back to. Put on top of that, we've had to, the, the landscape and the expectations around work environment, job environment, benefits. We have to constantly be looking at our compensation and benefits and make sure those are aligned. That means making sure if there were places around the country where our wage rate wasn't in line with market, we corrected that, even if it meant some higher than anticipated inflationary sides. Looking at benefits uh, policies to make sure we're giving people the flexibility and the time off that they they need and that they mm-hmm. earn. I think that's a big piece of it. And probably the area where um, I, I think we've historically done a great job is around recognition. Uh, employees of the quarter, employees of the year, um, having a, appreciation weeks that are both functional and across the board, bringing people together for activities like uh, America's Cup in where we bring people from soccer teams around the Americas together to meet each other. These are the things that are the foundation of of motivating and exciting people. And probably the newest that I think we're just getting started on, that we're just learning and we're growing with, is this idea of diversity, equity, inclusiveness, and belonging. Really making sure that we are uh, a place that is a great place to work for all, for everybody. And I think we've partnered up with Great Place to Work. They, of course, publish a really highly regarded um, uh, ranking of the top 100 companies globally and within each country every year in conjunction with Fortune magazine. We've asked them to challenge us, hold us accountable. We've been progressing in the U.S. We're number one in the world. And I think we've joined 12, 11 other organizations in what they're calling the great transformation to really commit to learning from um, employee resource groups in the areas of diversity, equity, inclusiveness, and belongingness to say, how do we continue to evolve and change? All of this is about motivating people and winning that war for talent, having people want to come work here. And overall, I would say it's working. Although if I look at my turnover rates pre-COVID to now, they're probably up a couple of percentage points. We normally run about 12% attrition overall. Now we're running about 14, but that's come Mm -hmm. down over the last two years. So I haven't seen this great resignation where huge groups of people left us. Mm. We've been able to hold it, but I am concerned. It's still higher than I'd like it to see. And I think we just, we were able to leverage some of the stuff we were doing before to keep it going in, in, uh, during COVID times and coming coming through that. You know what I find interesting is that you've just given this great speech about all the stuff that you guys are doing, you know, your performance reviews, active you know, leadership, you know, customer service training, providing the right your know, recognition, you know, DEI. You you know, out of all the time that you've been spoke you've been speaking, you know, a very small percentage of that time you spend talking about compensation. 
you know, it, it's, it, and, and I'm finding that all, you know, across many of my clients, Greg, that um, obviously if you're underpaying your people, people are going to leave. I mean, there's, there's gotta be a, you know, a reasonable amount of compensation that you provide so you can be competitive. But it sounds like what really has kept your turnover rates relatively low is just workplace, right? Just having a good yes. place to go to work where you feel like, you know, you, you enjoy your job and you enjoy the you people. Feel you feel like you're like valuable, you're, that you're listened to, that that you're... You, yes. We, we talk about our purpose here being to connect people and improve lives. It's and, yeah. it, and it's true. And it, I mean, we've been in a, we've got so many amazing examples over the past few years where what we've done has had a profound impact on someone's health and safety, a profound impact on keeping their business and their livelihood going when they were worried it couldn't. We like to share that. And I think you're right. I, I don't talk a lot about compensation because to me, those are table stakes. And it's very objective and matter of fact. You can get surveys. You can look at your marketplace. We all know when the wage rates go up. I I faced it probably a year and a half ago in L.A., the L.A. airport, that the wages went up. And we saw turnover start to spike. We had to quickly fix the wage rate because you'll, you'll lose them. But to me, that's, that's just part of our normal business. You have to pay people a fair day's wage for a fair day's work. You have to be competitive. You have to constantly be looking at what's going on in the market. And then you need to make sure that your benefits and your policies map that as well. And those are, I think we've probably done more looking at paid time off, some of those benefits, the way we've handled COVID around making sure people felt they could put their health and safety first. They could put the health and safety of their family first without jeopardizing their career or their role. I think some of those things benefited us through the pandemic. But I, but I do think for me, the biggest move forward to protect talent this year is the investment in our certified program and really getting our, our leadership, our supervisors and managers mm -hmm. to own, believing their people are the superstars of our industry. Every day having those crucial conversations to understand what people's needs are, what their feedback is for us and giving them feedback on what's going well to motivate them or, or to give them what they need to work on if it's something that's that needs to build a better competence and get better. We really do believe that's the spirit of our business is everybody wants to do a great job. So if you encourage them, you help them, and you have candor, honesty, and transparency, and genuinely you understand their career aspirations, what motivates them, that you have those critical conversations, even if they're informal as you're walking the line or by a water cooler, those are the sure. little moments in time that make a difference in someone's life and makes them say, I want to be here because it's different. If you get that right, you've got people that are motivated that we always say will deliver great service quality. And if you've got great motivated people delivering great service quality, customers will be happy. You'll build loyalty. And generally, if your customers are happy and they're loyal, their revenue goes up, their margins go up. And the profitability piece falls in line. Not that you don't have to watch KPIs and drive production, have engineered standards, but it really is kind of the lagging indicator. It's the last piece if you get the other three right. And no better, there's been no better time to prove that 
that when an industry is in crisis, the global supply chain has been in crisis for two years. And the companies that have done well are those that have been able to do the best they can to help customers to work through it, to be transparent, to be honest, to, to be to admit when they've made mistakes or don't. And more, I think back to peak last year, I would go on uh, podcasts, news, let, I'd go on to news radio like, like I'm doing today. And there were two very different messages out there. I was speaking to one of confidence because I had felt we had listened to our customers. They had, um, they had, I had followed up on, um, what their needs were for, for peak. I had managed expectations by, um, not necessarily over committing, uh, what we could or couldn't do. And I thought we were well set up by adding 12% of air capacity, 18% in terms of what our gateways could do and adding uh, a large number of couriers and CS people. Uh, we were set up for success, but I was, I was cognizant that there were a lot of people frustrated and upset because they wanted us to do more. So I could reflect and say, hey, the, the people wanted more from us, but that, but that wasn't it. Greg, um, I know we only have a few minutes left and, I, and yet I, I have another huge topic and I, I can't let you go without, without okay. asking you. Listen, I, I, I spent nine years at KPMG, right? I, I left there as like an audit manager. And um, I know now, it's been, this is like 30 years ago, if I were to go back and be an audit manager at KPMG, I would, I would freaking crush it. I would be fantastic <laughs> at that job. I know everything there is. To, I've lived long enough. You, the CEO of a large shipping company, let's, you know, logistics company, you know, you know if, if you were to quit your job and take the job of a purchasing manager or an operations manager at a small or mid-sized company, in, in these times of such high shipping costs, right, and supply chain issues, what would you do to manage your shipping costs at your company? What advice do you have for anybody that's listening now that's like, Jesus, my shipping costs have gone up double digits over the past year. I need to keep them under control. What are you seeing your customers doing to try and control their costs of transportation um, in these times? I'm wondering if you've got any thoughts on that. I think, I think number one, Gene, the hardest thing that our clients hear uh, from me and from others is there really isn't an answer. There is no secret sauce or silver bullet or uh, some secret door you can knock on and open where there's all sorts of capacity, space, and lower costs. I think the first thing you have to look at is what can I do to manage this as best I can to be smart about it? But then you have to do a bit of what we've been able to do in some ways with things like fuel or with our aviation costs are, what is my customer willing to pay for? What's the value that I bring to them? And as such, what can I pass on to them in terms of price increase that helps me deal with what I think are the inflation is real, it's hitting all of us. No, The orders you took a year ago, your costs are different. I think in some ways it's what can I pass on responsibly and fairly versus what I can take. We so I, I just have to interrupt you and say to, to that specific point, 
when I get asked that question, because I, you know, we have like 600 clients in my firm and, um, you know, and I have a lot of readers. So I'm asking them these same questions that I just asked you. And um, I'm finding the same answer, which is not a lot we can do. We're trying to share these costs with our customers, you know, maybe even if it's yeah. just temporary or a surcharge. And, yeah. and I, would you agree that, you know, because I'm seeing this as well, it, it, I, I, we all know that costs are going up. A lot of times I'm seeing my clients when they talk to their customers and say, cost of shipping have really gone up. Can we, you know, we'd like to pass through 50% of this increase. Can we share it? They're finding more oftentimes than not that most people understand that and that they are sharing. Yeah, you know, sometimes they don't, but you know, is that the answer? I mean, so there's, there's really well, great now in this that, environment. That definitely is part of the answer and you can't hide from it. You have to be honest. I've always been very, the increases we put through, and I think we've been in an industry where I've watched maybe definitely on the ocean side, uh, maybe on the air cargo, 4X, 5X, even at times 10X pricing. We certainly haven't done that. We, we've been... We, I think we were in a good position that we were in, we had we had an aviation strategy that had started well before COVID that you, I call it being lucky and good at the same time. It was great and good that we had a strategy that had a number of triple sevens being delivered during the COVID times for us because we were able to add responsibly newer aircraft that were more fuel efficient that allowed us when we used to be reliant on commercial lift to offset that so that we could keep the increases down. When, when I've added surcharges, I've done it in a way that says, I'm not going to go out and buy airspace at $10 a kilo and sell it to you at five. It just, I wouldn't do that. So when I put a surcharge on, it's, it's how we're managing a blended cost per kilo for our fixed air network. And the minute you don't want it or your clients won't pay for it, I, it could it could reduce. But for now, do you understand? I can't offer you the, the price that I quoted before. And my clients have been very open to that. So now I step back and say, what can you do? Well, the number one thing you can do is you really have to be organized and plan ahead. You need to look and say, what are my real volumes? What timelines do I need? Given that all of us, whether it's an ocean line, train and rail, LTL, TL, air cargo, express, all of our transits are now not what they used to be. So the more that you plan out and, and get accurate volumes into carriers, the better position you're going to be to secure the space you need that will keep you protected. And certainly that's one of the things we're talking to people about. Listen, don't forget that when airline capacity comes back, or ocean freight comes back, you leaned on us and needed us when there was a crisis. Maybe you should have as part of your logistics strategy uh, a certain portion of your inventory moving on a fixed network that isn't as prone to disruption long-term. And people are nodding and getting on with that. So we're seeing, I think, parts of orders coming our way not just in rush routing or on, on overstock anymore, but as part of the maybe the bring some stuff to market early while you wait for the larger volumes to come. I think we certainly have seen, seen people say, if you can diversify your supply chain so you're not heavily reliant on a single manufacturing site or single um, country in the world, 
diverse is better because if one area is shut down or suffers some kind of crisis, environmental, medical capacity, you have options. So we've seen the rise of countries like Vietnam and Malaysia become big. Even now, the concept of nearshoring for American companies, we see a rise in Mexico as a place where people are going to bring things along with the concept of made in America and, and seeing that rise. I think everybody's looking at how you could diversify your, your supply chain. I would look at, recognize that this, there is not such an excess in capacity, both in physical infrastructure, planes, trains, automobiles, boats, and people. This, this challenge around labor means traditional peaks where you see 50, 60, 100% growth, they don't work mm. well. So for us, you're going to hear people like me say, I can't give you 100% lift in quarter four. I need you to balance that more. I need you to get your run rate up. And then I can give you 20% more, 30% more, because I'm going to give that to everyone. And, and you it. need to secure your space with me early. So that's, I think, plan early, get close to your partner, do the best forecast you can, secure and get product moving earlier, and then find that way to balance then that you might be able to find a lower cost alternative that takes longer, but you're not put in a position where you don't have product for people. And definitely, you have to be comfortable that you add enough value that you can go back and ask for a fair price uh, that incorporates in some of the cost increases. Greg Hewitt is the CEO of DHL Express in the United States. Greg, great advice on how you're dealing with labor, great advice uh, for trying to deal with some of these logistics and price increases and supply chain challenges. Uh, really appreciate taking your time and uh, thanks for joining. Gene, thank you for the opportunity. I hope your uh, listeners enjoyed it and I hope you'll invite me back. I'm happy to continue uh, to share with you as things change in the industry or your uh, your listeners have questions that they want answered, I'd love to come back and join you again. We would love to have you and thank you for offering. So thanks very much. And everyone, thanks for listening. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? Please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychecks.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychecks can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychecks Incorporated 2022. All rights reserved.